Last night was a pretty historic night for you, right? Yeah. Your first human contact in over a year. <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah, you came over and watched a, a movie with the two of us. We had a double date movie night. It was great. After a year of being literally a 10-minute walk away from each other, we finally got to hang out. We've been, you, me, and our partners were all vaccinated. We got to get together, have our Sunday movie night, and you had your first human hug from <laughs> someone that's not your partner in over a year. Isn't that nice? It was worth the wait. <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I would have just rather not had the wait, you know? That's true. Welcome to episode 393 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back for another episode. Uh, 393, nice palindrome episode again. Yeah. What's the next one going to be? 404? Oh, episode not found. Oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe we'll have a. Yeah, we should do an episode on, on er- error states. Error states, yeah. yeah. Do, you know about, um, do you know about error code 418? No. All right. I only know about error code 420, if you know what I'm saying. Hi, blaze it. (laughs) We. Error code 418 responds, I'm a teapot. Really? Mm -hmm. Is that a reference to something? I don't know, but we'll find out in episode 414. (laughs) I'm sure we'll learn all about (laughs) error code 418. 11 episodes from now, you'll Mm -hmm. know. We have time to figure it out. (laughs) But we do have a packed episode. Let's get into it. First of all, huge shout out to Around. Around is a fantastic app. We've been using it to record the last several episodes of Design Details. It is a lightweight video call tool that floats on your desktop. It's a video call solution designed for collaboration, not for meetings. Designers love it. We love it. And honestly, it removes a lot of the fatigue that kind of makes meetings exhausting. You should check it out at around.co slash design details. Thanks, Around. Thanks, Around. We also have some new VIPs, very important pixels. Welcome to the fam. Yeah. Huge shout outs to Miko Castillo, Dim Sohin, Bradford Ulrich, Sky Jones, NLP Studio, Reginald Curtis, Alec Davey, Al Power, Liam Liu, and Axel Kadache. Is that how you pronounce it? Don't know. Are you just guessing? Okay. Axel Kadache or Axel Kadash? Yeah, yeah. One of the two. I like Al Power. That's a good. It's almost like all power. Dude, I mean, if you have the last name Power, like the world is your oyster. Yeah, it reminds me of that Simpsons episode where Homer changes his name to Max Power. Oh, I don't know that I've seen that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, thanks everybody. Wow, what a list. Yes. Welcome to the fam. Be sure to grab the sidebar so you get all the bonus content for this week on Patreon. Yeah. If you don't know, we're a listener-supported podcast, which means that listeners like you, yes, Sarah from... Um, A place that isn't like Sheboygan. I was going to say fucking... I just like think of the most random fucking places. (laughs) Sheboygan. Sheboygan. Say... say Springfield. 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 Sarah from Springfield, dear listener, if you've been enjoying the show and you want to support us and make it possible for us to record this every week, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash design details. What you get is a supporter-only bonus episode. Uh, It's like an extra bonus segment we release every single week called The Sidebar. Sidebar, sidebar. The Sidebar is like an extra listener question, an extra cool thing, just an extra design topic, usually 10 to 15 minutes, basically a bonus episode. So if you want to hear that extra content every single week, 
consider supporting us. It starts at just a dollar a month, and you can do that by going to patreon.com slash design details. This week, we're going to be talking all about deferred moderation responsibility. Ooh. Ooh, deep topic. Well, what are we talking about today in the main topic, Brian? Okay, so Marshall, every... (laughs) Every time designers are trying to give a trivial example of something, I feel like we always reach for the button, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're giving a trivial example of how a design system works, people will be like, okay, imagine you have a button. You want like a consistent button across all of your surfaces. But it turns out buttons are actually really complex. So I thought we could talk about buttons and what's going on behind the scenes. Like what are the things that make buttons good or bad or understandable, like what are different ways you can design buttons, represent them, lay out buttons next to each other, put contents in them, make them accessible. I don't know. There's a lot to talk about here. So so I thought we could spend this week talking about the not-so-humble button. The not-so-humble button. Yeah, this is one of those deceptively deep topics where it's like, yeah, it's just a button. It's a label and a container. Not so fast, Brian. There's a lot more uh-huh. to it. Um, so where should we start? Do you th- should we start with like the history of buttons? I mean, sure. Let's call this like a very lightweight history because I don't actually know the history of buttons. It probably goes back hundreds of years, right? Yeah, oh, I'm, uh, yeah I'm sure there are real world examples that we're not going to get into. But I'm just thinking about like my experience with buttons since I've been using computers as a child. Okay, uh, sure. So when I came up, well, first off, when I came up, it was like fucking DOS. You can so. finally say back in my day. Yeah, you? yeah. Oh, my this God. This is amazing. I'm so old, Brian. <laughs> back in my day, when I was your age, yeah, when I was a kid, it was like DOS, right? So no buttons, just text. Mm-hmm. But eventually, we got like Windows 3.1. And that, that was like the foundational thing that I remember of like, oh, this is I can click around. I have a mouse. And, and buttons in that world were... Very obvious. They were very bold and sharp, at least in the Windows world. I think in Mac world, they were rounded kind of from the beginning. But it's an interesting thing to actually think about because as you fast forward, we get to the era of the Steve Jobs lickable interface thing of Aqua and super shiny pill buttons that kind of permeated the design world for several years to come after that. Everything up through iOS 6 was very rendered buttons, I guess is the way to say that. Yeah, gradients, glossy, bevels, bosses, drop shadows. Highlights, yeah. Do do you remember just spending hours in Photoshop getting like the inset, you know, inset box shadow to be like a 2% white, so it would have like a little bit of a elevation to the top edge or like a a sheen coming off the top? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, designing yeah. really nice deep buttons that was so fun you gotta have the little moat around the button like the mm-hmm. little slot that it fits into so that mm-hmm. it can push down and pop up yeah exactly mm-hmm. all these real world physicality aspects of the button that we kind of don't have anymore with flat buttons but regardless ornamentation aside there are some fundamental things we can talk about here so maybe one of those things to talk about first is rounding like the psychology of rounding brian and I've over the years, I've I've looked into research on this, and I haven't. We were looking for links, and I haven't been able to find any good stuff that said that doesn't four hundred four. Hey, callback uh, that doesn't like just end in a in a dead end. That actually links to good neuro research or or solid research in any way about the psychology of buttons. But the thing that kind of 
has resonated with me and stuck with me. And I'm not sure where I learned it, but uh, and I think it's true. Maybe it's apocryphal, but rounded buttons are easier on the eyes than sharp buttons. Yeah, this is interesting, right? Like, I feel like we go through these trends of having different corner radius on all of our buttons. Like, we go through this really playful hill, like fully rounded, and then at some point someone will revert and have like square buttons. And it's pretty amazing, like even going from something like a two to a four or a four to a six, it really has a meaningful impact on the way an entire interface feels. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what did you find on the psychology of like why people gravitate towards rounded corners or, or like what the difference is between a rounded corner and a sharp corner? Yeah, so um, the thing about sharp buttons, we'll, we'll call them sharp and rounded, and uh, refer to fully rounded as pill buttons, just for some terminology up front here. So with sharp buttons, the eye isn't corralled by the shape of the button. So as your eye follows the edges of the button, you'll reach that 90 degree angle and your eye tends to continue on on that line instead of staying within that container. Uh, Whereas rounded buttons, because they're rounded, your eye kind of follows that around and sees that shape easier, which is, I think, how we get to that rounded buttons are easier on the eyes thing. I kind of think about it like a gravity well, right? Like the the more rounded a button is, the stronger the gravity well is for your eye, mm. you know, and, mm-hmm. and drawing it inwards towards the content of the button. And the sharper they are, the less that gravitational force is, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. What did you find about, I feel like maybe we talked about this in a past episode, but this idea of like, especially when it, we built touchscreen interfaces, this psychological effect of not wanting to touch sharp things. So like a sharp button on a touch device feels wrong because it doesn't map to something that you would actually want to touch in the real world. What did you find out about that? Yeah, well, it's kind of related to that. There's this uh, famous experiment called the Baba Kiki experiment where researchers asked participants to associate the name Baba with a shape and the name Kiki with a shape. And they had two shapes, and one shape was very rounded and bulbous, and the other was very sharp and pointy. And, you know, there was a statistical significance to the number of people who associated Baba with that rounded, bulbous shape and Kiki with the sharp shape. And it's kind of interesting that we have this association between sharp things and sharp sounds. And I think that plays into when you're touching something, you don't want to touch something sharp. And so, you know, are you making baba buttons or are you making kiki buttons, Brian? Uh-huh, you know? uh-huh. Sure. Yeah. So this what's interesting about this about that study is that it doesn't apply to people who uh, have never been able to see. So if you don't have any visual input on that thing, you won't have a, the same association between baba means round and kiki means sharp. Isn't that interesting? Oh. Hmm. Yeah, that is interesting. What about like the degree of roundedness? Like, how do you think about this when you make interfaces? Because rounding feels relative to me, right? Like depending yeah. on the size of the button, like you could yeah. have either a fixed radius or a dynamic radius, like larger buttons, or, or we could even talk about the difference between like a web interface and Apple TV, right? Where Apple TV has these super rounded, big, chunky cards. Mm-hmm. So I wonder like what is it a good idea to scale that as the element gets bigger, you scale the radius or 
or do you just like pick a number and then just be consistent with that throughout your system? Yeah, uh, I, I think it, you kind of have to scale. Otherwise, say you say you pick eight points for your for your rounded buttons, and that's at a, a normal size on a phone. When you blow that up to a TV size, the button itself is going to be relatively larger on a ten foot screen, right? So, or t- ten feet away from a screen is different from ten inches away from a screen, right? So, uh-huh. those larger buttons. Once they get larger, if you maintain the same constant number for those rounded corners, it's going to look relatively sharper on a larger button. So you kind of have to scale these properties up. In addition to scaling the size of the button, you also have to think about scaling the size of the text, any icons that go inside of them, the roundedness of the corners, the padding on either side, the spacing between the icons and the, and the text within there. Like each property of the button needs to scale proportionally with the, with the size of the button. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's an important thing. And, and all of these numbers should scale proportionally from small to large. One thing that I've always found weird with buttons is, I don't know, maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe you just need to be consistent. But there's all sorts of ways you can style them to have different levels of emphasis, right? Like you can have like filled bright icons usually or buttons. God, I keep saying icons. <laughs> you could have filled bright buttons, like a primary button. Then you can have like a secondary button, which might be more neutral. Mm-hmm. Then there's almost like tertiary. There's like outline buttons. There's, I call them ghost buttons, but like buttons mm. that are technically button elements, but there's no decoration outside of the label. Perhaps like on hover or focus, there's something. Do you know what the uh, word is after tertiary? Primary, secondary, tertiary. Do you know what the fourth one is? Quaternary. Yeah, nice. Do you know what the fifth one is? Uh, quintinary. Close. Yeah, I think it's quinary. Yeah. Quinary? Okay. You never hear these. Past tertiary, it just falls off. <laughs> I well, have to look the up thing quaternary. With quaternary. The only reason I know it is because I, w- I want to spell it quaternary. Yeah, it's not quaternary. It's, it's quaternary. quaternary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I mess that up all the time. It's yeah. embarrassing. But yeah, you're right. These these level of emphasis are, are super important and having a clear gradation from one level to the next or, or a significant enough jump from one level to the next that it's clear the purpose that they serve is different, but not so great that you end up crowding one end of the spectrum. You know what I mean? You have mm-hmm. to kind of space them out along that spectrum of emphasis so that there's there's clear delineation between them so the user can be like, oh, this one stands out above those other ones, but the second one stands out above this third type, right? And that's tough. <laughs> or, I mean, I think there are probably pretty good examples out there, but like fine-tuning that is, and, and all of these values, like fine-tuning all the corner rounding and text size and all that stuff is, there's no right answer, there's no... There's some wrong answers, but like there's no wrong answer either. It's just like yeah. what fits your brand, what fits the product, what fits the screen size or the platform that you're working on, what fits the expectations of your users and you know, the vibe you're trying to set. So all these things are, are adjustable, but it needs to be consistent within the system overall. Go figure. The, the design system guy is talking about consistency across the system. Yeah, well, it goes back to like what we were talking about, I think... Two weeks ago in the sidebar, maybe last week, we were talking about like spending tokens or, yeah, or like weeks ago, turning yeah. dials for the system. And it's like, okay, well, if you're going to pick a radius or you're going to pick a color, that's a token, right? And like you can mm-hmm. use many tokens in a button. You could add a border, you could add a drop shadow, but each time you do those things, you're spending a token that changes the the button's relative contrast to other elements or, or changes the user's perception of sort of the Z index and space within the app. Mm -hmm. Also, there's buttons that 
it's not even about the design of the button, but like what the button represents, right? Like at GitHub, we have like danger buttons and we have success buttons Mm. and those things might look like more of a neutral button, but when you interact with them, like when you hover over them, the color changes. Like you have a gray button and when you hover over it, it turns red and that's Mm. a danger button, right? How do you handle that on mobile where there is no hover? We just use like a red text label, kind of like the delete action on an action sheet just Mm -hmm. is red text instead of blue text. Does it invert on tap or how does that work? Well, I guess we don't have that many danger buttons in the the mobile interface today. It's mostly action sheets where we would just have the red label and then the the tap interaction is the same as an action sheet. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, interesting. That's a good question, yeah. And yeah, yeah, then okay, yeah. So now you're talking about like interaction methods. Well, are you going to be, are people tapping it? Are they hovering it? Are they tabbing through it with their Mm -hmm. keyboard? Focus, And then you need to think about focus, hover, active states. There's even more states, states, right? Like buttons might also represent like some sort of loading state. Like you submit a form and the button becomes disabled or maybe you change the button label or replace the contents of the button with a a loading spinner. Mm -hmm. And then you layer on, like there's a whole other layer of complexity around making these things accessible. Like Mm -hmm. making sure that people who are using screen readers know what the button is going to do and you can provide additional sort of accessibility context around the action that's going to be performed with the button. Mm -hmm. And then there's even like special types of buttons. Like I I encounter this building web forms where if you have a form, like a form HTML element, Mm -hmm. and you put a button in that form and give it a type equals submit, the button just gains superpowers. Like it knows to submit the form that it's enclosing. Like you don't have to really hard code that. Uh, there's another type, which is form reset or type equals reset for buttons. So yeah, there's like all these layers, right, of things that you actually have to consider when making buttons, which maybe even going back to the original premise, I don't know, I feel like people point to buttons as a trivial example, but also it is a good example of like where to start with a design system because it does force you to think about all of these things, like mm-hmm. lots of interaction design, lots of uh, visual design. Mm-hmm. There's so many good good things here. Yeah, a button can encapsulate your entire brand or the entire vibe of the product you're building. (laughs) Like your primary button, that says a lot about your product, right? Did you ever see there was like a a website where they would just show you buttons without Uh labels or anything? Uh And based on the visual style of the button, you could figure out what product or what company it was for? Yeah. Be like, this is... A Facebook button. This is an Amazon, Amazon. button. Yeah, right? I could tell Amazon button from any other button in the world. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's pretty incredible. Like this thing, this strange combination of corner radius, drop shadow, border, text, like that is enough to represent a brand at some level. It's crazy. It makes me wonder how much designers who work on these products that have such identifiable buttons, I wonder how they feel about it. I wonder if they feel like we can never change this because it's so iconic. You know what I mean? Like, I, I wonder if there are designers at Amazon, they're like, oh, I hate these yellow buttons. But me as a user, I'm like, oh, I know it's an Amazon button. Even if I see it on a site that's completely unrelated, if there's an Amazon button in an ad or something like that, I know it's a, if there's a yellow button, I know it's Amazon, right? Which could open the road for uh, for misrepresentation by a by a third party that's trying to make itself look like it's Amazon by using the same styles. That's a whole other right. talk. I guess this reminds me, like in one way, I could imagine that being a brand liability. 
but also buttons, you know, we talked about their history over time. Like you can recognize a Windows 95 button compared to an Aqua era button compared to an iOS 7 era button. Mm-hmm. And so there is danger that a button that goes unchanged for too long just ages. It's funny that you can identify eras of interface design just based on what buttons looked like at that period. Yeah, the zeitgeist. Yeah, and so like if you designed your buttons in the period of time where every button had a like a border and a light inset uh, box shadow at the top that was like a, a very light sort of white color to give it a top edge and a very light drop shadow to give it some depth, that looks old now. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that it's better from like a visual accessibility and contrast point of view, but modern buttons don't usually have those decorative elements, right? Like they tend yeah. to be flat. Somebody just picks a corner radius and a color and moves on. Yeah, this makes me think a little bit about fashion, right? Because mm-hmm. um, in fashion, and fashion has been around for a long time, as long as people have been wearing clothes, I guess. But in fashion, uh, trends come and go, right? What is cool today is not cool tomorrow, but then maybe cool the next day. We see this in hairstyles and jean cuts, all this type of stuff. So it makes me think like of Microsoft, for example. Windows 10 is very square, and flat. It's kind of a combination of iOS 7 and Windows 3.1, where it's a combination of these things. Yes, it's very square, but it still feels modern with the, the flatness. Could some of these things come back around? I've even seen kind of a push for this. Uh, that, you know, There's some backlash against flat design. Some people want to bring back drop shadows and some of these skeuomorphic. Is that how you say it? Skew, skew-o? Do you pronounce the O or the, you just say skeuomorphic? I think you just say skeuomorphic, okay. but the, there is an O in there. I don't think it's technically silent or anything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these skeuomorphic aspects, right? These are kind of uh, on their way back. I think I think the pendulum has swung very far flat and starting to swing back a little bit towards uh, skeuomorphism. I think it'll probably land somewhere in the middle, but it's cool to see how these things kind of come back. And yeah, they go out of fashion for a little while, but that doesn't mean they're gone forever. Uh, and if you wait long enough, Computers haven't been around all that long, so we haven't had that many opportunities for these cycles to occur compared to fashion or other industries. So it makes me think that, you know, maybe those uh, those things that feel old today will be cool tomorrow. Like, I remember I hated the sound of 80s songs in the 90s, like that synth mm, just mm-hmm. felt old to me, but that's fucking new again, man. Like, I, fucking, love, I, it, yeah. I love Weekend, like uh, some of his and... newer stuff is great, yeah. right? Yeah, all the synthwave stuff that I listen to now, it's nostalgic. So you just got to get over that like uncanny valley hump of it feeling old to the point where it gets nostalgic and then it's cool again, I guess. Yeah, I think we're in the phase of ultra rounded and like gradient colors. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I'm just getting this kind of from skimming the dribble popular page no, every no, now and everywhere. again. It's like yeah. we're very much in a rounded gradient phase. Mm-hmm. And I think in the future we're going to see it revert back to something more like not fully rounded buttons, a light drop shadow, and probably some interaction on hover and and focus where like the button is either moving or like one decoration is changing to like make that state clear, Mm -hmm. but otherwise not too much else. So it's not too simple, but not too complex. People will say, oh, that looks clean. That looks simple. And they'll look at our gradient flat buttons today and rounded and be like, oh, it does look so old. Right. It'll it'll look um Dated. it'll look messy is what it will look like. It'll yeah. look uncontained. Yeah. Anyways, 
buttons aren't so simple. They seem like they're simple, but they aren't. Hopefully, we, yeah. sh- we shed a little bit of light on that little little peek. Didn't talk for too long, but I, there's a lot to talk about there. We could go on for hours, but hopefully, that was a, a useful yeah. little discussion. I mean, we could talk about like developing buttons because oh, my God. God, like actually programming like a button component is intensely deep work. But yeah, not for today. Okay. Well, let us know what you thought of this segment. If you have uh, your own thoughts on like the button zeitgeist, the button visual design zeitgeist, let mm-hmm. us know like where you think it's going to go. Maybe if you have your own favorite button style, I, I'm I'm kind of having fun playing with different button styles. Like I think for the staff design website, uh, I went with a sharp corner button. They yeah. all have sharp corners, and but what I did is I made them semi transparent. So like if you hover over the people cards on the website, like you get this like gradient blob that glows behind the button. Mm. So I have that there and then like solid black squared corners buttons. And then on my personal website, I think they're a little bit softer. Uh, I don't know. I'm constantly playing with stuff just, just to have fun. So maybe other people have like a favorite style that they've come across. So tweet at us. Let us know what you think. Yeah. All right. Cool things. Yeah. You want to go first? Yes. Okay. So we had our first movie night in over a year, mm-hmm. and we watched <laughs> we watched Godzilla vs Kong. Uh huh. I mean, what can I say about this movie, Marshall? Like, it's not a good movie. <laughs> it was not good. But uh, I think it's one of the highest grossing of quarantine since last yeah, I don't year. Know how which much is kind of really sad, sad, but yeah, it's pretty sad. But here, here's here's my takeaway: the movie is not good, but it is a great movie. Mm. Does that make sense? No. Explain more. Or here, maybe I should rephrase. The movie is not good, but the movie is very fun. Okay, like I'll agree with that. I showed up, I, I'm like rubbing my hands together. I'm like, I want to watch a big-ass monkey punch a big-ass lizard. Yeah. And it happened. It did. Multiple times. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. glorious. <laughs> monkey punch lizard. Yeah. Monkey punch lizard. I guess for people who haven't been following along in the saga, there are like previous movies to this, oh. but honestly... The only one worth watching is Skull Island. Yes. And the other ones just get a recap on YouTube and then watch this one. Because this one had good monster fights. And yeah. but yeah, the human storylines are all pretty shitty. It was not a good movie, Brian. I found myself yelling how at the screen <laughs> several times throughout. Well, like halfway through, we were we we had already figured out exactly how it was gonna end, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I'm like quoting lines before they even get said. Uh huh. Yeah, like yeah, it's one yeah. of those movies. It's really. easy. A B C D E F G. That's how this movie goes. Yeah. Anyways, still a cool thing. Still a monkey punched a lizard, and you, you can't knock that. Yeah, and I bet people are gonna give a shit for even saying the word monkey because technically, I, I think it's an ape. He's a titan. Yeah, but I don't really care. It's more fun to say monkey punching a lizard. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There you go. Where is the light source coming from, Brian? Where is the light coming Where from? Where the fuck is the light source <laughs> when you watch this movie you will know what we're talking about and you too will wonder where is this light coming from <laughs> doesn't make any sense magic light yeah well All cool right. thing brian <laughs> your turn uh yeah so mine is a bit of a follow-up slash expansion of a previous cool thing of mine so i mentioned a few weeks ago that i was reading the mistborn book the first book of the mistborn trilogy And I I wasn't even all the way through it yet. I was like a third into it when I recommended it. Bold move. But it paid off because I finished that whole trilogy. I read the next book in kind of the reading order called Warbreaker. 
And now I'm reading the Stormlight Archive, which is this huge epic saga. I'm reading the first book of that. They're all written by the same guy, obviously, named uh, Brandon Sanderson. And I've become a fan of this guy. Like, he's here's the thing it's not the best writing, it's not the best prose. Most of the books needed like one extra editor pass, in my opinion. Like, there, there are passages where it's like the army moved through the mist as they moved south. Like, well, yeah. you said moved twice. Couldn't you say marched? Or like, uh, Vin followed Kelsier up the hill, following closely behind. It's like, yeah. you just yeah. said following yeah. twice. Why don't you fucking... So there's stuff like that. There's maybe a dozen times throughout all four of those books that I read. Not the end of the world, but it's one of those things that takes you out. Aside from that, though, he has great fucking magic systems. The magic systems are dope. The one in uh, Warbreaker is based on colors. The one in Mistborn is based on metals. Uh-huh. Uh, it's just stuff that even like this is very different and and he you know completely unique. Also, he writes really compelling characters and and with very different worldviews. He's able to put himself into the minds of these characters and authentically represent their worldview, even though these are very diametrically opposed characters, styles, or types of people. And boy, oh boy, can he end a story, Brian. He knows how to write fucking endings, which is probably the hardest part of writing based on watching SNL. Endings are hard. Um, (laughs) So Uh he knows how to write them. The first Mistborn book has a great ending that if you just want to read that first one, not the whole trilogy, it will have a satisfying ending and you'll be like, oh, wow, that was good. And if you want to go farther, the end of the trilogy has also a very satisfying but not expected. Both of them have like kind of twisty endings they're not super twisty where it's like oh i was your brother the whole time that type of shit is more of like i didn't see that coming that that didn't play out the way i expected it to which is always good for me um so yeah really good highly recommend it brandon sanderson check it out excellent all right this has been episode 393 of the design details podcast we hope you enjoyed it let us know what you thought uh we're on twitter as always at design details fm Hit us up. We love hearing from you. Send us uh, topics or questions that you want us to discuss in future episodes. You can post questions on our GitHub repo at github.com slash design details slash design details. If you want to support the show, if you've been enjoying the content and uh, want to get access to bonus content via the sidebar, sidebar, sidebar. uh, be sure to subscribe on Patreon. That's at patreon.com slash design details starts at just a buck a month and you can uh, help make it possible for us to record this every single week this week's sidebar we talk all about moderation responsibility for organizations and when they defer that responsibility to their users so get access to the full sidebar backlog all future sidebars going forward get the the complete design details experience for just a dollar a month just a buck i'm at 25 cents per sidebar brian that's ridiculously cheap come on all right so that's a patreon.com slash design details thanks to everyone who uh supported the show this week welcome to the fam welcome uh we'll see you next time bye Bye. Say the line, Bart. Say the line. (laughs) Bye.